It's Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, could alpaca antibodies one day provide treatment for COVID-19? Plus, the Hubble telescope has spotted the oldest star ever seen by humans by a long shot. The European Union is cracking down on fast fashion and the scammers trying to turn prayers into NFTs. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. So this is a bit of a follow-up to a segment we did all the way back in May of 2020 on the Coronavirus Morning Report about alpacas and their potential role in treating COVID-19. So two years ago, I mentioned a study from Belgian researchers in collaboration with the University of Texas that began before the coronavirus pandemic using llama antibodies to neutralize different types of coronavirus, at the time meaning SARS and MERS. They injected a llama called Winter with spike proteins from those viruses that each separately fought against the two diseases. And the reason it worked is due to an interesting quirk of camelids, the family of mammals that llamas and alpacas belong to. Quoting the New York Times piece on this study two years ago, Humans produce only one kind of antibody, made of two types of protein chains, heavy and light, that together form a Y shape. Heavy chain proteins span the entire Y, while light chain proteins touch only the Y's arms. Llamas, on the other hand, produce two types of antibodies. One of those antibodies is similar in size and constitution to human antibodies, but the other is much smaller. It's only about 25% the size of human antibodies. The llama's antibody still forms a Y, but its arms are much shorter because it doesn't have any light-chain proteins. This more diminutive antibody can access tinier pockets and crevices on spike proteins, the proteins that allow viruses like the novel coronavirus to break into host cells and infect us. That can make it more effective in neutralizing viruses. Llamas' antibodies are also easily manipulated, said Dr. Xavier Salins, a molecular virologist at Ghent University in Belgium and an author on the study. They can be linked or fused with other antibodies, including human antibodies, and remain stable despite those manipulations, end quote. Now, that previous study went on to test their method with proteins from COVID-19 and found the llama antibodies successfully neutralized those as well. Since then, multiple teams have continued to explore camelid antibodies as a potential for treating COVID-19. The latest findings, published recently in the journal Nature Communications by a team from Sweden, identified nanobodies from alpacas that successfully neutralized SARS-CoV-2 in mice. Nano Magazine describes nanobodies as, quote, fragments of antibodies that occur naturally in camelids and can be adapted for humans, end quote. In other words, those smaller antibodies that I was talking about. And there's one nanobody in particular they identified that could be the key here, and they named it FU2. Literally, capital F, lowercase u, number two, FU2. As funny as it sounds in English, it was actually named after an alpaca involved in the study whose name was funny, and probably the researchers are in on the joke. But anyways, quoting again from Nano Magazine, FU2 significantly reduced the viral load of SARS-CoV-2 in cell cultures and mice. Using electron cryomicroscopy, the researchers found that FU2 naturally binds to two separate sites on the viral spike, thus inhibiting the virus's ability to enter the host cell. The researchers next delved deeper into the alpaca's nanobody repertoire by combining a range of advanced laboratory techniques and 
and computational methods, resulting in a library of nanobodies described in detail. The results presented in Science Advances revealed additional nanobodies that in cell cultures and mice effectively cross-neutralized both the founder and beta variant of SARS-CoV-2 and even neutralized the more distantly related SARS-CoV-1. The researchers are currently applying the same techniques to identify which nanobodies from this set are best able to neutralize Omicron, the now-dominating SARS-CoV-2 variant, end quote. Now, having this broad protection across multiple types of coronaviruses and SARS-CoV-2 variants is exactly what the Belgian and Texan team had been trying to achieve several years ago, so this is a pretty cool step forward. As for how these findings might be applied practically to future therapeutic treatment for COVID-19, we'll have to wait and see, but that is what all of the different teams working on this are aiming for. Remember that big NASA announcement I teased last week? Well, as predicted, it really straddles that fine line between overhyped and actually very cool. The Hubble Space Telescope has spotted the farthest star ever before seen by humans, almost 13 billion light years away, making it nearly 9 billion years older than the previously oldest farthest away star ever spotted, and means that this star was around within the first billion years of the birth of the universe. Pretty heavy stuff. The star was discovered using data from Hubble's Reionization Lensing Cluster Survey, or RELICS, program, and has been named Irindel by lead author and astronomer Brian Welch, who notes that Irindel means morning star in Old English. He said in a statement from NASA, quote, Irindel existed so long ago that it may not have had all the same raw materials as the stars around us today. Studying Irindel will be a window into an era of the universe that we are unfamiliar with, but that led to everything we do now. It's like we've been reading a really interesting book, but we started with the second chapter, and now we'll have a chance to see how it all got started. End quote. And here's more from NASA. Quote, the research team estimates that Irindel is at least 50 times the mass of our sun, and millions of times as bright, rivaling the most massive stars known. But even such a brilliant, very high-mass star would be impossible to see at such a great distance without the aid of natural magnification by a huge galaxy cluster sitting between us and Irindel. The mass of the galaxy cluster warps the fabric of space, creating a powerful natural magnifying glass that distorts and greatly amplifies the light from distant objects behind it. Thanks to the rare alignment with the magnifying galaxy cluster, the star Irindel appears directly on or extremely close to a ripple in the fabric of space. And this ripple, which is defined in optics as a caustic, provides maximum magnification and brightening. The effect is analogous to the rippled surface of a swimming pool creating patterns of bright light on the bottom of the pool on a sunny day. The ripples on the surface act as lenses and focus sunlight to maximum brightness on the pool floor. This caustic causes the star Irindel to pop out from the general glow of its home galaxy. Its brightness is magnified a thousandfold or more. End quote. Now, there is a chance that Irindel is not just one single star. Phil Plate over at Sci-Fi Wire's Bad Astronomy explains, quote, a star cluster at that extreme distance can look so small it can be mistaken for a star. The astronomers in this work found that for these images, this is unlikely, though. Given how small the source is in the images, they find the biggest it can be is a light year, which is pretty small for a star cluster. 
They cannot, however, exclude the possibility that this is not a single star, but a multiple system, like a binary or trinary. Even if it is, though, multiple systems tend to have one star that seriously outshines the others. And even if it is two stars, well, alright, then we're seeing two stars 12.9 billion light years away. That's still amazing. End quote. And Plate also adds that astronomers believe the very first stars ever born were around 200 to 300 million years after the Big Bang. Irindel seems to have been born about 900 million years after the Big Bang, so that would make it one of the first stars ever in the universe. But right, is it one star or multiple stars? And what more can we ascertain about it? For all of that, we'll need to wait for the more advanced James Webb Space Telescope to do its work. Co-author Dan Coe says that the JWST will be able to confirm that it's a star and measure its brightness and temperature, which will narrow down its stage in the stellar life cycle. And Welch thinks that the JWST might even allow us to see stars even older than Irindel. Now that is pretty incredible. And if you want more star content today, Jason over at Kotki.org just shared an interactive browser visualization of the 119,617 closest stars to our Earth. Called 100,000 Stars, it was built specifically for Chrome browsers and is pretty remarkable. About 100 of them have descriptions that you can read when you zoom in and click through on them, and while it's all based on legit sources and previous space agency missions, they do warn, quote, scientific accuracy is not guaranteed. Please do not use this visualization for interstellar navigation. So, sorry, not a Google Maps for our galaxy, but a fun browser activity to kill some time on. New rules proposed by the European Union could signal a huge and needed shift back to long-lasting, repairable clothing and other consumer goods. Quoting the BBC, The strategy, launched on Wednesday, targets products at every stage of use, including design, repair, and recycling. It also says it'll crack down on companies misleading consumers with false environmental claims or greenwashing. Manufacturers will have to ensure their clothes are eco-friendly and hard-wearing, and consumers will be given more information on how to reuse, repair, and recycle their clothes. End quote. The Associated Press adds the rules would ban the destruction of unsold products and would seek to improve global labor conditions in the garment industry. Both fast fashion and right-to-repair laws have been getting increasing attention in recent years as consumers become more aware of unethical labor practices and environmental impacts of poorly made products that are designed to fall apart so you have to buy more or pay for expensive branded repairs and replacements. The BBC notes that estimates say less than 1% of all clothing around the world is recycled, and that, quote, for every person in the EU, textile consumption requires 9 cubic meters of water, 400 square meters of land, 391 kilograms of raw materials, and causes a carbon footprint of about 270 kilograms, end quote. Now, if this initiative were to successfully roll out and be embraced, Tamara Sinsik of the Fashion Roundtable Think Tank says it could inspire similar legislation in other parts of the world. European Commission Vice President Franz Timmermans said, quote, We want sustainable products to become the norm. The clothes we wear should last longer than three washes. All textiles should be long-lasting, recyclable, made of recycled fibers, and free of dangerous substances. The strategy also aims to boost reuse and repair sectors and address textile waste. 
end quote. Now, while any rollouts combating fast fashion will need to be gradual so they don't completely disrupt an industry that largely depends on low-cost materials and labor, there is no doubt this is a step in the right direction. You know, we simply can't be throwing away as much as we do, and I would personally be thrilled to see products in all sectors last as long as they used to. Someone call Martin Luther because indulgences are back. Harkening back to the days when certain players in the Middle Ages turned an ordinary teaching of the Catholic Church into a way to make a ton of cash by convincing people to pay to have their sin wiped away or even for eternal salvation, some scammers this month pretended to be a church offering prayers as NFTs. Eternal Prayer, a site that has since been taken down, described itself as a Christian service that will commemorate your prayers for all of eternity on the blockchain. All you had to do was submit your prayers to the site, 250 words max, they'd inscribe the prayer on the blockchain, and then you'd receive an NFT to honor your prayer. The whole thing would take 24 hours and cost you $20. Although the Mary Sue points out that just before the site went down, you could save 15% with their Easter sale and the code Pray to Jesus. Now, listen, if for some reason you are a person who truly wants your prayers on the blockchain, that's cool. No judgment here, and I'm definitely not here to judge anyone for how they choose to worship, but I can almost guarantee that this site was not run by the Christian organization dedicated to spreading the gospel and prayer with our community like they claim to be. In fact, it was almost certainly designed to take advantage of the exact type of person they claim to be serving. Tyler Huckabee over at Relevant Magazine was one of the first to dig into the site and points out that, first of all, when you start combining new, difficult-to-understand technology with spirituality, you're almost always going to get a wave of scammers. It's an intersection that requires sharper-than-usual vigilance. But this site did not require too much vigilance at all to see through. Apart from lacking any transparency over who was actually running the site, like perhaps a church with verifiable nonprofit status or even any organizational name whatsoever, a Twitter user pointed out that the site also claimed to have helped thousands of Christians memorialize their prayers on the blockchain, and yet, according to Whois data, the site was alive for only two weeks. That's some pretty impressive business. And of course, the site was loaded up with testimonials claiming miracles that had happened after people submitted their prayers to the blockchain. So yeah, doesn't seem overly legit. And while it's all kind of funny, I will just say that if you've got folks in your life who have been susceptible to scams in the past, whether online, over the phone, or even through the mail, maybe have a conversation with them about NFTs and some of the newer red flags to look out for. Scammers gonna scam, and we gotta look out for one another. Well, I'm not sure who asked for this, but HBO Max has announced that they are developing a new series that will be a prequel to Stephen King's It. The series will take place in the 60s and follow the origin story of Pennywise the Clown. Andy Muschietti, who directed the most recent film Duology, will be involved and direct at least the first episode of the series, and the show is tentatively titled Welcome to Derry, presumably so that people looking to watch a quirky and heartwarming series about being a teen during the Troubles in Northern Ireland can accidentally switch on the origin story of a murderous clown. 
No word yet on release date or cast or anything like that, but HBO Max seems to be collecting prequels and origin stories from major franchises lately, with series allegedly still in development for Dune and The Penguin from Batman. So we'll see how that all turns out, but that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.